John and Choir. They've done a splendid job in all services, and I appreciate the witness they offer in song. Let's join together as we pray. Father, we've requested your presence in knowing that you're already here. But it helps us to remind ourselves that unless we invite your presence, your presence is not magnified enough in our lives for us to be aware of the presence you present. So we thank you today that your spirit who never leaves us, your presence which never departs from us, the fact that you never leave us nor forsake us, we can come together on this occasion and worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Always, the person ought to thank someone who's invited them to be a guest somewhere to say thank you. I want to magnify that ad infinitum. I'm glad to be here to be a part of the Dawson family worship experience today. This is number three, and I've enjoyed every single worship experience. Your staff is par excellent. The music is superior, and the fellowship is magnificent. If I say much more, I'm going to get myself in trouble with other churches, so I'll leave it at that. I also want to say to you that some of you have come up to me and said, do you know who I am? And I have been tempted to say, no, but I have a psychiatrist friend who might help you find out who you are. <laughs> I have had acquaintances through the years with many of you, and you're dear to me. Your eyes never change, but the fact of the matter, with personal testimony, the rest of us changes. So, if you will help me with who you are, I will try to help you with who I am, and we'll go from there. Thank you, Dawson family, for being pace setters among Alabama Baptist life. You are that. You, and you're giving through the cooperative program as Alabama Baptist and Southern Baptist. You have set the pace for so many other churches across the landscape of Alabama and across the entirety of the SBC. The giving you have through special offerings and well beyond all of that is something to be appreciated, admired, and I'm going to thank you to her, and I just want to thank you for it. On behalf of all the missionaries, state missionaries, North American missionaries, international missionaries, the entire effort that we have, you, without people like you, the job would be harder to do and the difficulty would be greater. Thank you, Dawson family. I've been on today with you doing an experiment, and the other two worship experiences, and those in the worship service will have to grade me on this. I don't know that I can grade myself. I normally do not do something like this, but I'm going to experiment with you on a definition of discipleship. Now, everyone thinks they know what discipleship is, and we do to an extent. Everyone has a connotation, a description, but when we go to define discipleship, we get into trouble. So here I am, I'm getting in trouble, and I'm doing it with one of the greater, better churches in Alabama life. I don't know what possesses me to do this, but I felt led to do it. Discipleship. What is discipleship? A working definition a work in progress. I believe discipleship 
is a lifelong calling of becoming like Jesus by personifying his message. Let me just take that apart a minute, and then we'll get to our text. A lifelong calling. There are not many things we do in life that covers our entirety of our living. But when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you trust him as your Lord and Savior, you become a lifelong follower of Jesus. It is a calling. Remember the disciples early on in ministry, they received a calling, and so did you. In your own way, you received a calling, lifelong calling. By the way, where you live, by comparison, is temporary. The address may change. And until recently, your cell phone would change. And there are a lot of things about you that may change. I won't get too personal with you. But as a disciple of Jesus, you have a lifelong calling to be his. Becoming like him. Now, there is the crucial part. I read recently about a fitness center. They called it a wellness center. I don't know that every time I go to a fitness center, I come out about the same way. But a wellness center, I'll give that a crack. But they decided not to call it fitness center, wellness center. They called it a becoming center. Becoming. I, I really thought that would be a good way to describe the church. We're helping each other and others who will become disciples become like Jesus Christ. Everything about the mission of the church, everything about what we're doing in Sunday school and Bible study classes, everything about being involved in missions, everything is about helping people to become like Christ as a disciple so that they can be a disciple who makes disciples. That's the basic call of a Christian, a lifelong call, calling, a becoming like Jesus. We have a calling, a becoming, and a personifying, the personifying of his message. We don't have a message of our own. We could go out and write and create. Many people are very literary creators. They're all kinds of writers, speech writers. They're people who could write essays and do all kinds of things far beyond my ability to do so. We don't have to go out and create the message. He's given us the message. In fact, he is the message. So what we're supposed to do with our utmost to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, and therefore personify the message of Jesus Christ. Living sacrifices who are answering the lifelong call to become like Jesus and personifying his message. Think about that for a while, but not too long because we have something else to do this morning, Transi transitioning and segueing. I want us to think about discipleship this way, discipleship in three Ds. I'm not talking about dimensions here. I'm talking about letters which represent words. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 is one of those verses that some people can quote very quickly, and oftentimes when we do so, we, we've lost the meaning of it. In fact, the more we know Scripture sometimes, the more we take it for granted. So let's revisit this as if we've never, ever seen it like we're viewing it this morning.
Keep in mind, Matthew 16 is a very important turning point in the ministry of Jesus. It is there at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus perhaps stands upon or looks upon a rock and says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, at that point, a lot of theological decisions are made and directions are set. We're not going there. I'm just simply telling you that when he said that, he was saying that there's going to be an ecclesia, there's going to be his people, like you describe it, his people to be found faithful as his people. He's calling them together in order that they might go into the world, gather to scatter, to go into the world. The disciples, they, now remember, it's before the cross, before the resurrection. We have to get that timeline, or we're going to be beating up on these disciples, these slow learners, we would call them. But the disciples were standing there listening to all that, and the gates of hell will not prevail against this church I'm going to build. Okay, he's in the building business. He's building his church. He didn't tell us to build it. We become part of it. We're part of the living stones in it. He's the builder. He's the cornerstone. But those disciples now, they're just like us. They think they know more than they do. And Simon Peter had a Ph.D. in putting his foot in his mouth. And this is what he tried to say to Jesus as Jesus described the suffering that he was going to experience. Oh, no, 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 no. You got the script wrong. You're not going to suffer. No, 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 Jesus. Uh, keep in mind now, we're here as your disciples to be a part of this growing band of believers. By the way, they weren't growing at that time. This growing band of believers, and we're going to be able to reestablish the Davidic throne. In other words, we're going to overthrow the Roman government. They were under the bootprint of the Roman government, and as an occupied nation, they wanted to be free. Who wouldn't? Jesus reprimanded him. You, he said, paraphrasing, Lance paraphrase, you'll get that in a moment. Lance paraphrase, you sound like the voice of Satan, Simon Peter. Get behind me. Well, Satan has had his voice. And the disciples are perplexed. And now Jesus is in the corrective and teaching, instructive mode. He has their attention. They're all blushing. And then Jesus said this, among other things, in terse statements, almost tweetable. If anyone desires to come after me, he or she must deny himself or herself, take up his cross or her cross, and follow me. The disciples are saying, cross? You mean this crucifixion? Jesus had not yet died on the cross, and they're standing there. Later they will understand it, but not now. We have the benefit of 2,000 years of rearview mirror perspective. They did not. Three D's of discipleship. What are they? First, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, he specifies this. You must deny yourself. You're talking about a hard saying of Jesus. This one's has so often been sanitized to the point you can't even recognize it. Deny yourself. 
How in the world in this particular venue of human life when we are taught self-preservation and personal liberty and everything about us, we have rights and privileges and no one is supposed to deny us our rights and privileges, then how in the world are we going to deny ourselves? Oh, we actually live in the selfie generation. Everyone takes selfies now, I must admit. I've been involved in them very reluctantly. I don't like selfies. I don't like being in a picture. I don't like taking a picture. And I don't like my reflection on the screen. <laughs> the other day, I did FaceTime with a staff, and they wanted me to do some devotional things and talk about trends in church life. And I looked on my enlarged big iPhone, iPhone 7, I think it is, and I saw that little picture of me, and I thought, if I look like that, I'm going to go online with a GoFundMe for cosmetic surgery. <laughs> it's hard to deny yourself. And yet, when we become believers in Jesus Christ, not only is there a new birth, that's what we like to talk about. We need to talk about it. There is a new birth. But there's also a funeral. A funeral takes place. We don't like talking about that. The new birth is that we're born in the kingdom of God. Everything is new. But in order for everything to be new, old things have to pass away. And like Paul, he said, I die daily. In other words, I'm having these daily funerals about myself. He has to not be present in your life that he is. He has to not just be prominent in your life, that he is. He has to be preeminent in your life. Priority one, number one, not anything less. That's hard to, that's hard to metabolize. Think about it. How in the world are we going to deny ourselves? Well, maybe we ought to take a lesson from John the Baptist. John the Baptist, I'll admit, he's not the kind of guy that you'd put him on GQ magazine. He looked kind of rough. His clothing did not come from Old Navy or Brooks Brothers or anything like that, and he didn't go to Whole Foods to buy his food. He just was different. But this is what he said about Jesus, and this is his model for us. He said this, John 3, 30, underline it in your Bible. If you don't have a life verse, this would be a good one. He said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Every day, in every way, Jesus needs to increase more and more and we need to decrease more and more so that we can become like Jesus. First D, deny yourself. Second D, dedicate yourself. Take up your cross. Uh, that's an image for us. Remember the disciples, they, they had this image of the cross. That was capital punishment. No one really wanted to die that way. Uh, no one didn't die anyway, but that was excruciating, horrific kind of death. And now Jesus is saying, all right, if you're going to be my disciples, you have to take up your cross and follow me. That's dedication. The cross is the symbol, the basic symbol of the Christian life and of the church life, if you will. 
Now, we don't have them prominently displayed as much as possible, but they, we know they, they are important to us, the symbols like the cross. I'm not into icons. I'm just simply saying when I see a cross, I see Jesus. When I see a necklace that is a cross, I think I'm about to talk to a follower of Jesus Christ. When I see someone, yes, who has a tattoo on his arm or her arm, I think I'm about to talk to a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. Because in their way, they're assuming and accepting and embracing the way of the cross. I've got to tell you this story. This last week, DOM, friend of mine, director of missions, I should say, told me this story. He said he was down in South Alabama at a Methodist camp. Oh, yeah, we do cross over a little bit. He was at a Methodist camp. And there were not many people there. The camp director was giving him a tour of the little area. And there's a nice little lake there. And on the other side of the lake, there's a cross, which they light up at night. And it shadows itself on the lake. And you just get a beautiful postcard view of that image. You can imagine it in your mind. I should have taken a picture of it and brought it with me. But you can imagine that in your mind. And then the camp director said this to my friend. He said, well, guess what? One day I had this wild idea that I was going to save a little energy and I decided not to light up the cross that night. We light it up at night. And that way we saved a little money. He said, the next morning, the commander at Fort Rucker called me. A gruff commanding voice on the end of the phone. And he said, hey, what happened to the cross? Sir, the cross, what happened to the cross? Well, sir, it cost a little money to light that cross up, and we just decided, wait a minute, before you go further, I've got to tell you this, the commander said. Our pilots who come in at night use that cross as a guiding path to land, and we'd appreciate it if you'd keep it lighted up. Now, think about it. Cogitate on that a moment. The way of the cross leads home, right? That's the old hymn. The, the GPS for us, the guidance system for us, is the way of the cross. The way of the cross. Yes, the old saying, the old song says, there's a cross for Jesus, but there's also a cross for us. We take up our cross in our own ministry assignment. If you're a doctor, you're still taking up your cross. If you're, a, if you're a lawyer, you're still taking up your cross. If you're a business person, you're still taking up your cross. If you're a homemaker, you still are taking up your cross. If you're a student, you still take up your cross because that's our calling. We take up our cross. We dedicate ourselves to the way of the cross. Deny yourself. Dedicate yourself. But there's a third one. Declare yourself. If anyone comes after Jesus to be one of his disciples, not only does he deny himself, not only does he, if you will, dedicate himself by taking up the cross, but also the essence of the Christian life is you follow Jesus. If someone were to ask me, I'm a simple person, if someone were to ask me, can you just give me a few words that describe the Christian life? I've just had to simply tell you it means following Jesus. Now, you can't follow Jesus without knowing Jesus. 
You can't follow Jesus without reading about Jesus and knowing His Word. You cannot follow Jesus without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot follow Jesus without fellowship with each other and worship of the living God. You cannot follow Jesus as a lone ranger trying to do everything by yourself. You follow Jesus in the company of fellow disciples. But you follow Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. We live in a day of a personality cult. And people are following personality leaders. And I'm going to tell you that's the most dangerous trend in the Christian life. Because, you see, people, we're human. People will disappoint you. People will fail. But Jesus will never disappoint you. And Jesus will never fail. You can stand on those promises. I have a good friend of mine who, uh, whose uncle served in World War II. And since my dad was World War II, uh, if you'll bear with me, I know there are not many World War II people left. I saw on television the other day a 99-year-old man who was a B-17 crew member. That's what my dad was. 99 years of age, and he got into a B-17. They didn't take off. He just let him walk around in there. Having been in one of them, I can tell you with my claustrophobia, I don't know how anybody stayed in those things. It's slightly better than a submarine, but not much. But this friend of mine told him, he, he was an infantryman, and he said uh, he was a second lieutenant, his uncle was, and there they were. They had a recon, a reconnaissance mission, and they took a squad-like number of people out. And what he was supposed to do is go out and try to figure out where the enemy is because the, the way of detecting that's far less sophisticated than now. You had to have human eyes on the ground to be able to do that. And he said, go find out. The commander said, go find out where they are, what the numbers are. He takes a handful of people, a squad-like number of folks to go, and they go across what has already been laid out to be a landmine area to protect the camp. <clears throat> they walk around that. And so they go, and next thing they know, they're pinned down by multiple machine gun nests. Nobody had ever given him any information that there were that many numbers of Germans there. Now, this second lieutenant, one of, the, one of the roles of a leader is not only to accomplish a mission, but to protect your people. Those two things have to go together. You accomplish a mission, but you do so by trying to protect as many of your people as possible. And he realized he couldn't accomplish his mission, so he was going to protect his people. He told his sergeant, those sergeants kind of run things, but his second lieutenant said, we're, we're getting out of here. We got to crawl our way out. Snow is falling. And then they come to that open area where that landmine had been, those landmines. And guess what? Every single one of those little pins sticking up, flags sticking up, now had been covered up. And you could see the distraught, the chagrin, the fear, and perhaps some anger and the eyes of those who were standing there with that lieutenant. We're on this suicide mission, and we can't even get home. Lieutenant said this. He said, Sergeant, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk across this open area. You walk 15 paces behind me, and you walk in my boot prints, my footprints, unless something happens. 
and then you create another path. And then I want the corporal, and I want everybody else to be 15 paces behind, and you put your boots right in the boot prints of the person ahead of you unless something has happened. Miraculously, every single one of those 12 members of that unit made it across that minefield, even though it had been snow-covered. The next morning, the boot prints had been dangerously close to those landmines. But because they followed in the footsteps of their leader, they got home. There is a little text. You remember it? 1 Peter 2, 21. We are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We even have a hymn, old hymn, Footsteps of Jesus. Well, that's really the essence of the Christian life. When you follow him, you're following in your footsteps. You're not taking control of the mission. You're not saying, oh, by the way, I have this Ph.D., and I've been to seminary, or I have this kind of training, and I, I got this. I can do this. Oh, no. Let me tell you this. No matter what our educational background is, what our socioeconomic background, we're all children of God, and we never outgrow being children of God. Never. We're all little children. When Jesus said, let the little children come to me for such is the kingdom of God, he was saying, by the way, guys, you never outgrow being children. So we follow his footsteps. Bill Borden did that. You may remember his story. Turn of the 20th century. This young man was born in that wealthy Borden milk family, and they, they had what would be equivalent to more than two billion dollars today. They probably would be represented in the Trump cabinet. They were very well off. So therefore, they had expectations for young Bill that he was going to go in business. Problem was, Bill didn't want to do that. He felt led and called to be a follower of Jesus. So at age 16, he is at Yale. There are 1,300 students at Yale at this time, all male. And 1,000 of them are in a Bible study he's leading. He does some time at Princeton University, but he is called to a Muslim people group. Does that sound familiar? He was called to a Muslim people group. And when he left, his dad tried to talk him out of it. He wrote in his journal, no reserves. We'd say no reservations. No reserves. As he's en route through Egypt and on over to where he's going to be, positioned in China, there was another attempt to thwart his mission, but he put no retreats. On the way, he became terminally ill. And the last entry in his journal were the words, no regrets. I don't know how long you and I have to live. But wouldn't it be wonderful as a disciple of Jesus to simply say, no reservations, no retreats, no regrets. I will follow Jesus. No matter what culture does, no matter what happens in the legal system, no matter what happens out there, I am simply and certainly and surely going to follow 
Jesus Christ. A lifelong calling of becoming like him in personifying his message. Stand with me, please. Our Father and our God, we recognize this morning that we are frail and flawed individuals. We further recognize that even frail, flawed, you can use us. Even broken vessels, clay in the potter's hand, you can, you can take it. You can take our lives, the mess we've made of our lives, and create masterpieces from it. Lord, if there are those here who have never, ever trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, may this be the time they repent of their sins, place their faith in Him, and trust Him, and begin the pilgrimage of being a disciple. For those who need to become a part of this fellowship, this wonderful Dawson Memorial Fellowship, we pray for them. For those who might need to come on recommitment, saying, my life has grown cold, taking up the cross is not a daily commitment. I want to recommit myself to taking up the cross. I want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Lord, take now this service. Use it to your glory and honor as your Holy Spirit woos, calls, and works in the lives of people. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.